Um, so good afternoon. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, I'm Jim Collins. I am a senior consultant with AWS Federal Professional Services. Before I begin, show of hands, how many of you are DOD, defense, government, anybody in the military? Excellent. How many of you were at Public Sector Summit in DC this year? Even better. You may recognize some of this stuff. Um, so today I have the awesome privilege to introduce uh, Tyler Haley from the United States Special Operations Command, JSOC. <laughs> um, he and I met about a year ago. Um, we, we had engaged with ProServe with, uh, with his team to start their journey with DevSecOps and kind of getting them started with cloud adoption and uh, learning how we can transform military functions with uh, kind of the power of AWS services. Um, JSOC and SOCOM in many ways have been kind of a pathfinder for the broader DoD community. Um, they've been operating across, of course, the commercial regions, GovCloud. Let me stop right there. How many of you guys are in GovCloud? All right. So there's your audience right there. Um, they've been operating across the commercial regions, GovCloud, Secret, which is kind of the focus of this talk, and C2S. Um, so there's obviously a lot of feature differences between each of those regions. Um, in professional services, a lot of the times what I'm tasked with is going through and saying, I have this landing zone or I have this CloudFormation template. How do I make this work in GovCloud knowing that there are certain feature uh, differences across each of these, uh, these partitions? So a lot of that work is what Tyler and I were doing for about a portion of a year, kind of getting those services and that, that feature functionality to work uh, across multiple regions. Um, and he'll tell you about kind of the trials and tribulations of that. Um, so if you have questions about specific tools that were used, specific techniques, he's, he's here to answer those types of questions. So um, I won't waste any more of your time here, but it's Tyler Haley from uh, Special Operations Command. Awesome. All righty, can I get a boo if everybody can hear me? There we go. That's where I want to start out as a speaker this morning. Um, so I want to thank Jim, of course. He gives an introduction uh, that's uh, very well rehearsed. Um, normal government functions and briefings usually include a uh, 400 page uh, paper. It's going to have about a thousand slide decks. We're all going to be asleep in the first 20 minutes. So if I can, I don't want to do that for everyone in attendance today. I want to say first, thanks everyone for coming out uh, today. I just want to be able to share some of the lessons that um, we've learned over this last year, some of the pain points that we've had and uh, share them with everyone so they don't have to live those same things. Um, as Jim said, my name is Tyler Haley. I'm the former uh, cloud service provider lead um, inside of an organization inside of Special Operations Command. Um, for those that don't know, um, Special Operations Command for the longest time has uh, been around to answer um, high fidelity problem sets uh, that require unconventional approaches and different ways to solve problems. And as we've entered this space, um, we've used that same methodology, the same uh, practices and procedures that we handle uh, with everyday worldwide mission sets. Um, we tried to do that um, in our adoption to the cloud. So today, um, I just want to give a little bit of uh, what we were doing, um, kind of why we were doing it and how we did it. Um, at the end of the session today, I'm going to step to the side. Um, and answer questions, feel free, anything that you have. Um, I will, uh, I'll try to answer to the best of my abilities. Um, so to cover some of the uh, agenda topic items, so we're gonna hit an overview. We're gonna talk about our journey uh, through um, the DevSecOps procedure and define what that means uh, to our organization 
But what that means um, for the, the Department of Defense and the public sector, because everyone can pretty much uh, fundamentalize what DevSecOps means. It means that we're practicing some developmental uh, procedures. We're embedding security throughout our entire pipeline. And at the end of the day, we are moving that to an operational uh, environment where it's a constant um, refit, refinish, and execute. Um, the the non-traditional um, two teams work on something, they pitch it over the wall, they hope it's its best, and then continue on. Um, we'll then move on to kind of our DevSecOps pipeline. Uh, we'll be talking about um, some of the decisions we made. And at, at public sector this year, um, we had a few items on here, and they've changed since then. Um, for the last year and a half, our amount of iteration has been 10x. Um, I cannot tell you how many times this year I failed. How many times me and my team went into a meeting and we're like, hey, so we learned a thousand ways not to make the cloud work. Um, so I want to share those. And then we'll finish up with some lessons learned. Uh, we, we picked some that are uh, specific to AWS, and we've picked others that are just fundamentally are how you approach kind of the DevSecOps uh, mentality. Um, in saying that, um, we have deployed on AWS this year. We've also deployed on Azure and Google. Uh, we have to look at our problem sets, not only from um, the AWS perspective, but a multi-cloud architecture, and that's where we want to be. Um, at the end of the day, we want our pipelines, we want our software, we want our mission set to succeed regardless of the vendor. And hopefully today we can kind of, uh, we can kind of express how that goes. So we'll get this started. Um, so who dares wins. It's a perfect segue into this last year, year and a half. If anyone's been around the special operations community or if anyone has even heard of the British SAS, it's a, it's a common saying that um, has echoed for a long time. When you start to approach the secret region or the top secret region, if you've never worked in these spaces, um, it can be daunting. It really can. Um, when we first got in there and we logged into the console for the first time and we seen the, the um, reduction in services that were currently offered at the time, we started scratching our head. But I say that because you have to be fearless in your approach. If you want to change how your organization, how the Department of Defense, or even how your small section can change, you have to have this um, approach to that. You have to be okay with failing and not getting it right the first time, or the 50th time, or the 100th time, but you've learned every single time. Iteration um, and continuing to develop will make this better for the entire uh, DOD and the public sector. So I'm going to switch over to uh, kind of a statement, and I'm going to take a water break real quick. So um, I'm originally from Kentucky, if you can't tell from my accent, so I'm going to save everybody me reading this entire slide. Um, this comes from uh, our CTO currently at uh, the command, and it, it's really what are we doing and what's our core value towards this? And uh, Mr. Antani really captures this. Um, this. This comes directly out of one of our tech strategy guides. Um, but how do we go about this? Some of the things that I want to point out is um, technology changes all the time, whether it's AWS um, inventing a new type of container security approach, or it is a third-party vendor that's figured out how to uh, manipulate AI and ML services uh, to better the customer. Um, it's still technology at the end of the day. So you have a technology and you have a methodology, and we want to pair those together to be as quick and iterative as possible. Um, so moving on, so what problems are we trying to solve? Um, and, and which ones uh, mattered? A year and a half ago, the problem that I thought I was trying to solve isn't the same problem we're trying to solve today, but that's okay. And that's a, a little bit different from how um, 
the public sector usually works. The public sector has been known for the longest time that um, we will find out about a problem. We're going to spend the next six months in working groups developing a situation and a problem set to that situation. Um, and then we're going to spend the next two years planning. So by the time we actually get implementation, we get software going forward, uh, we're two years behind where we wanted to be, and uh, we are not helping the warfighter today. At the end of the day, we are pushing uh, software, we're pushing infrastructure, we're pushing um, our pipelines to solve one thing, and that's to enable us to be flexible, to be able to meet real-world mission requirements, um, but at the same time, use today's practice to do that. The, the community that's been doing this in software development, um, this isn't new to them. They've been doing this for 15 to 20 years now. Um, they have learned, they've put in the hard work for us to be able to uh, take in, um, adopt, um, figure out exactly where that fits in, and use that. We get the chance to um, really learn from their mistakes. So, um, so what problems do we try to solve today? So uh, we want to deliver real-time solutions, not only to operational teams, but to uh, service teams. Um, the, the second part there, uh, provide real security at all the, the, the OSI stack. Um, and, and that's kind of hard in a lot of ways. Um, we want to meet not only uh, DOD compliance and government compliance requirements, but we also want to be at the cutting edge as much as possible. Um, if a policy says that you need to be um, at three out of 10 on a security scale, well, that's just the minimum. We want to be a lot, uh, we, want to be, we want to be at that seven, that eight mark. We want to continue to iterate to uh, always be as secure as possible. Um, we want to en enable um, the, the future software developer tomorrow. So um, out of our contracting teams, out of our government civilians, but most importantly, out of our service, uh, uniformed service members that are learning how to approach software development now. We have plenty of teams that uh, have been at reInvent this week um, that you've seen real life uh, equivalents on that are looking at software development. We are, or we are finding out um, some of the problems that we have throughout the DOD. We're figuring out how to solve that problem. And then we're having our uniformed service members uh, write the code and be right beside um, the problem solving at that time. So we want to enable them to move fast, but be able to give them the guardrails and the, uh, the boost they need. Near zero downtime. Um, everything in the commercial sector has a SLA attached to it. Um, if, if I have a direct connect link with AWS and they're down for eight hours, I'm going to get a lot of credits this year applied to my bill. Um, but, but there's a level of understanding. Um, we want to have that same level of understanding to our customers, whether it's the other service provider teams or to the developers. And then the last thing, we want to enable development first mentality. A lot of times in the traditional um, DOD construct, we have waterfall project management. Um, we're very silo based. And we are, hey, we'll develop this. We're going to run through a few iterations. It's going to be in a development environment that looks nothing like our operational environment. Um, just kind of a, a question real quick, a show of hands. Whose development environment looks exactly like their operational environment right now? Awesome, that's what I thought. Um, whose development environment halfway looks like their operational environment, uses the same tooling? All right, so a few. Um, last question. Um, who doesn't even have a development environment that gets used for their software deployment? All right, somebody here is lying, but it's okay. 
uh, it's good. So uh, we want to, we really want to ingrain that with uh, new team members and service teams as we do this adoption, not only to the cloud, um, but to software development that we are pushing development first and not letting that be a hindrance in how we go about. So kind of moving to the next slide. Second water break. I think I'm gonna try to keep it under 10. See the clock not working. So like everything, there's always a technical difficulty. We don't have the clock working today, so I'm just gonna guesstimate um, where we're at on time, um, and, and we'll go from there. So our journey, um, it really started this year, and when you really break apart DevSecOps, um, even though security is in the middle, it's at the front, it, it really is. How do we take security, not only from software development and uh, infrastructure, but how do we put security at the forefront of everything that we do? Um, some of the things that are on here, so we're, we're talking about secured secrets, we're talking about um, security that analyzes from a static and dynamic code base um, in uh, our software development chain. And that's kind of like, it's the number one point for a reason. It's what we strive to do, but do we do it every day? No. Did we get it right the first time? Did the first commit that we did to a VCS provider um, that deployed our first application, did it follow this exact thing from the beginning? No. We were standing everything back up. From the day that we kicked off our cloud migration and, and our leap into this infinity, um, we started our cloud service provider team, our CICD team, our ISP team, our CDS team, our platform team. We started every single one of those teams on the same day. Now, for, you that, for those that were in public sector, uh, I got a few nods, but anyone that's done any cloud migration that's worked in this, they'll tell you you do not do that. Um, so it fit great that we did that. We like to go against the grain, uh, but we had to do it that way. We needed to be able to figure out how to get on board very quickly and uh, learn from iterative approach. So security from the start. When we started out, it did not happen like that, but constant change, constant going back and relooking at processes, it has. I have uh, one of the gentlemen on my team today, he's sitting in here, um, he gets the lucky privilege of not only taking care of the security um, on our team, but he gets to do the policy. So um, I'm kind of required to make sure um, he gets a, a beverage at night to make sure he can uh, to, to process that. But he can tell you from the beginning, he is always looking at me in meetings and saying, hey, where are we at on policy? Where are we at on these seven different security features? Where are we getting them baked in? Constantly being reminded and making sure that it's publicly known, not trying to hide it, not trying to worry about that. Second big point here, and I think it's my favorite point um, but it's been the most painstaking, and that is automation of everything. Um, in pipelines, most pipelines don't start out this beautiful, elegant um, commit, and it goes through 17 different deployments. It has 22 uh, security checks. It has a ton of QA testing in it. Most pipelines don't start like that. They'll start out with, hey, I'm going to pull from um, a Git repo. I may put this into a development environment. I may not. Um, there's a good chance that I'm not doing any static or dynamic code analysis the first time. Uh, there's not a lot of controls, and there's not a lot of visibility, and that's okay. When you first get into this space, as you're figuring things out, that is part of uh, learning and going about that. Um, I can say, though, we, we had the same exact problem. We could not get every single thing started from the beginning, but we started in the commercial space, and that's where um, a, few, <clears throat> a few different policy decisions and opportunities have kind of uh, given us this year is um, 
a lot of the, the, we were talking about the secret region here, but when we re-looked at how we were going to do software development, how we were going to work, we needed to develop an environment that allowed developers uh, and admins to be flexible. And the best uh, space for that at the time, and, and it still is, is the commercial um, regions that are offered by the cloud providers. We get the flexibility of using the same tools and features that everyday developers get to use. Um, and inherently, that makes our security posture better. Um, we get to see open source tooling that's used all the time. So um, automation of everything, infrastructure as code. Um, at public sector, I talked about infrastructure as code um, being more important because when you're starting to stand up a new cloud environment, well, it's net new, um, or you've been in uh, the, the, the cloud space for a few years now, but it's been from a development standpoint, um, the ability to work, write code one time and be able to use it across all your environments, um, it's, it's crucial. When me and Jim started, uh, about a year and a half ago, I think it's almost been two years now. Um, Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, I had this beautiful, I mean, absolute beautiful cookbook. Uh, it was Python based. Um, it was going to deploy kind of all the things that we needed for commercial. We had kind of worked that out, and then we're like, hey, so they, they took the time, the pro service team took the time to help us design this um, governance system to de design how we wanted to approach. Uh, I am, and all the, the things come along with that. So it worked in commercial, and then we took it up to secret region, and man, I think it was the world record on the quickest error time. Um, so we started going through, and we started figuring out, like, hey, the, um, this isn't going to work. This service isn't available currently at this time, um, but I want to be able to write code that still works. So uh, this year, um, so CloudFormation is the go-to uh, tooling for AWS to be able to write infrastructure as code. Um, from, from my team and our organization point, we want to be able to deploy across multiple clouds, um, but we want a skill set that we can keep. So uh, infrastructure as code this year, um, we utilized a tool that a lot of people know, which is Terraform um, and Terraform Enterprise to really help us uh, be able to move into that space. Um, so infrastructure as code is important because before an application can ever get deployed, if you do not have a pipeline that can deploy things code-based, you can't give the same repeatability to your infrastructure. So if I'm, if I'm already starting off on the wrong foot, um, I can't have a development environment that mimics my operational environment. And the operational environment is always changing, which is not what we want. We want our development environment and our production environment to be one and the same. The data may be different, and that's okay. Uh, but we want the environments to be the same. So it, it starts with a solid, solid uh, foundation and in infrastructure as code. And you're not going to get it right the first time. And if you do, congratulations. But that's fine. You can get it wrong quite a few times, but you'll learn from that. We are still to this day going through iteration and change. W when I log on to our collaboration tools and I look at like, hey, we're actually on version 1.9 of uh, uh, something that started at 0.1. Um, on, a, on an iterative change cycle, and that's okay. So starting uh, with uh, infrastructure as code. AMI, Docker image creation. Um, as you move kind of throughout the software development environment, and after you have infrastructure provisioned outside of EC2 and some of those things, is when we start talking about containerization, which is, I mean, a, a very big uh, worry right now inside of public sectors, containerization and containerization security. Um, a lot of the talks we've heard about the last few years from key leaders throughout public sector, they're, they're worried about container security. And um, rightfully so, um, there are some security issues, but it can be mitigated. Um, it's mitigated by following policy that you define in your pipelines. 
Um, and then the last thing is service reliability and monitoring. And we owe that a lot to our customers, not only to the um, developers that are writing code, that are deploying applications through our pipelines and onto our infrastructure, but also our service teams that we have to work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I, I expect our network team to provide a level of reliability uh, for connections into our VPCs or VPN circuits, ensuring that things like um, transitive routing are working. I expect that as a cloud uh, provider so the same thing, they should expect the same experience um, from us. And then the last thing is pipeline focused uh, kind of software development and deployment. And this is a, a key point that I want to hit on that I think really is, um, is a little bit hard for a lot of organizations to get started with. Just a real quick question here. How many people this year tried to deploy in some government capacity and there was a policy that said they couldn't? I want to come work where you guys work then. Um, so a lot of the times, a lot of the environments that we work in, there's a policy um, that's in a place that doesn't let us use a tool that we want to use, doesn't let us use a procedure, um, because it maybe it was protecting against a certain security threat model at the time, or it was a policy that was older and not evolved for this space and this methodology. Um, part of our evolution over this last year and a half was getting wins with our cyber team, getting wins with our cybersecurity teams, for like the government folks in attendance now, um, when you're looking at your your six your, your uh, six organizations and the cyber organizations that fall in the six, um, getting them on board as early as possible is crucial for us, and I think it's going to be crucial for everyone else here. And part of that you'll see is lessons learned is being able to educate them and, and show them that hey, there is security inherently. Um, with, with some of the open source tooling that's out there, but we can have a control point kind of for the first time in a long time when we're talking about pipeline focused, um, not only development software deployment, we have a single point now. Um, it's no longer give, um, you give anyone keys to the kingdom, they run 37 different ways, and now I'm trying to open up a really big security net to that. I have a single point of entry um, that maybe has a few different exit points, but I have a, a place where I can begin um, and I can really ensure that security is upkept. So, our start to seeker region, and um, I want to start off by saying so. Some of the um, the services that are offered in commercial and GovCloud, um, they're uh, they're limited inside of um, C2S and SC2S. That's purely from a, a policy standpoint. Right now, uh, the technology is there. Um, we are just ensuring that like, hey, uh, these services will be there. How do we continue to plan our architecture against that? So just some of the initial things on the slide here. I'm, I'm just gonna hit a few of them. A lot of things that really hit around this is um, what does IAM Federation look like? Um, our kind of marketplace in the, currently in the uh, secret region, there isn't a marketplace. So it's kind of a hard point for me to bring on vendors and me to bring on the ability for people with uh, little, um, cloud expertise, a, a solid point to start. Um, and some of the apps is the core service. Now these don't reflect real time. Um, there's been some current releases. This slide deck was, it's a few weeks old now. Um, but some of the things that are kind of out there, these are common core services that a lot of developers rely on. Route 53, um, just, just a show of hands, how many people have actually worked in SC2S or C2S this year? Awesome. How many people have actually ran into issues developing in that space because there was no Route 53? All right, so almost the same amount of hands. It's such a core common service that's offered by AWS, so we had to figure out how to work around there, and there are ways to work around that, um, and that's fine. That is something that I think speaks true is if you keep this development mindset in, in 
understand that iterative approach is required, you can work around these services. So this was our kind of our start a year and a half ago into this, and we had to learn each one of these pain points um, pretty hard. We had to figure out if you want to build high availability networks and you want to build applications that are true fault tolerant, how do I do that in one region? You evolve. You figure out, all right, now I'm going to execute in different availability zones. And I'm going to sure that my application architecture that I designed today can account for more regions in the future, but I just have to understand the environment that I'm operating in. Uh, so some of the tools that we use, um, feel free to take pictures. This slide um, has changed quite a few times, and that's okay. We've learned this year, um, it's often in the DOD space and in federal, we will see a lot of times that we will buy a tool and we'll start using that tool and that tool is supposed to do 100% of everything that we needed it to do and we found out it did 20%. But we're gonna stick with that tool. We are gonna ride it to the last day that it can possibly go. And for us, that didn't work and we didn't want that. If a tool didn't meet what we needed this year, we got rid of it. We found a new tool. That's a great thing about the open source community is, um, code is out there. Everybody can look at it from a security aspect, but people want to solve the same problems that we want to solve, um, and they write the code for that. There's a lot of great products out there that are open source that we in the defense um, sure We don't have to worry about paying for, but we can still leverage those same things. So for each one of the tools up here, um, we've, we've got the Elastin suite of tools for collaboration. Um, we have our messaging system, which is Rocket Chat. Um, and a few other things I'll go into. There is a, a native service that AWS offers uh, for a lot of these. The, the current reason that we want about picking these was some of these offerings weren't available in C2S and SU2S. We wanted the same developer experience for um, all of the regions at the time. So this, of course, will change. You come back in six months, and I'm sure a few more of these icons have changed. Um, so we'll kind of move on to the next, uh, explaining a few more of these. Alrighty. So for our software uh, development and um, platforms that we deploy on, kind of the two that are up here are Pivotal Cloud Foundry uh, and Pivotal Container Service and Rancher. So for a lot of our net new deployments this year, uh, we onboarded onto PCF and then our managed Kubernetes uh, environment this year, um, we really tested out Rancher not only from our cloud perspective inside of Amazon, uh, but also our on-prem environment. We were able to give the same experience and understanding of how these services worked across different, um, between on-prem data centers and in the cloud. And I think that's one of the things that was really great this year that we learned is we didn't want to bounce back and forth. And um, it took a few times to go through that. Software is updated. They've learned through things. We've really worked with the vendors that, that are on this list because a lot of these vendors aren't used to working in this space yet. Um, a year and a half ago, SC2S and C2S was nowhere near publicly as known. Uh, C2S had a little bit more maturity just because of uh, the time that it had been in the space. Um, but a lot of the, the tools that are up here weren't there. GitLab, Terraform, Rancher, they'd never really operated in these spaces before. Uh, so we had to work with the vendors time in and time out uh, to get there. So the, the actual thing from this was we were talking about DevSecOps pipelines and the lessons learned. So we'll actually get to that now. Um, this was labeled as an advanced course. So I'm going to hit some of the advanced topic principles. Um, but at the same time, we're not doing a huge deep dive. I'll be happy to break down each individual part of this in detail uh, after this uh, and go from there. So pipeline, pictures. Pictures a lot better than words. Our pipeline here, 
is it really different than the industry standard? Everybody has some type of repository, has some type of collaboration platform. Um, the pipeline will do some security testing. It will do some quality assurance testing. Um, there'll be some type of artifact repository. And uh, from there, it kind of goes in a different way. The only thing that's really different from ours is our deployment environment isn't always the environment that we started our pipeline in. If I started writing code in commercial and using the tools there, my in-target execution environment may be C2S or may be uh, SC2S. Um, so that just adds a little bit of the different uh, tailor to the end there. As you can see, we, we kind of go from our problem and scenario. Everything starts from there. Um, if, you, if you don't have a problem that you're working towards, you can't apply good project management principles to that. So we want to make sure that's captured not only for us in Confluence and Jira, uh, but it's a clear understanding what problem that we're trying to solve. And we are not trying to build of all, we're, we're not trying to build Rome in one day. We understand this is an iterative cycle. We are still applying agile methodologies to it. Um, that was not only was changing our um, our environment this year was changing how our culture operated. Um, inside of the DoD, we have a lot of like waterfall project or, uh, project management, and that's okay uh, while we onboard agile uh, principles, um, and we kind of work this way. So from outside of the, the problem set, uh, working on the requirements and design, our pipeline right now kind of splits in two different directions, um, and they're not the same. Um, there's the software route and there's the infrastructure route. And for us, the big point here is trying to figure out where we can leverage work that, um, if I write a pipeline, I want it to be able to, to work for infrastructure and software. The time that our guy, uh, that we have spending in this environment, I want to ensure that we're getting the best uh, bang for the buck. So, um, but regardless of what happens at our software and infrastructure steps, if that's uh, pulling down a Git repo and figuring out what library that is and getting ready to mount that into a uh, development environment like Kubernetes, if that is a, a environment that is an application that's based in Python, um, that's okay. Infrastructure, um, it doesn't have to manage or it doesn't have to mimic the exact same steps. Um, so for our um, CI tooling, we use GitLab. So GitLab's not only our VCS provider, but we use it um, for um, CI. And that was, a, that was a change for us. When we actually started out, we used Concourse, a pivotal offering um, for our CI tooling. And that was kind of one of the first changes. About three months in, we started noticing that we could get a little bit more productivity um, out of our CI tool if it was married into our repos. If we were able to pull more information and be able to have a, a certain level of trust, um, that was a little bit better for us. It helped shorten the learning curve for our new developers, but also helped shorten the curve for our uh, new admins that were in this space. So development environment, the key point of this, you don't see us skipping from picking a design requirement and going straight to production. Uh, it goes through development, and there'll be a few different build tests uh, in there, whether it's an uh, infrastructure, like, hey, we're using Terraform. We're going out and we're planning an environment. We're seeing how uh, the environment is supposed to get deployed, and we're going to run some checks against that. If it's software, we're doing an initial chance. Hey, do we get a good build here? Um, what errors do we get? It shouldn't go any further if I go to compile and I get an error. That's fine. Cool. VCS updates, our developers get a notification, and we start the pipeline back over again. So after we've kind of deployed and we've built into our development environment, um, that really goes through its tests. 
but we really deploy that code next to an, an ITSS, so environment. This is where our pipeline maybe is different than most people's. Um, we have to figure out where that's co that code's going. Is that code gonna get deployed into another Amazon account or to another platform inside of commercial AWS? Is it gonna get deployed into Azure? Is it getting deployed to uh, our on-prem VMware environments? Or is it deploying to SC2S? I mean, that's where things kind of break apart. But again, our pipeline isn't different than every other pipeline that you see uh, on the web today. Um, the only difference is our execution environment. So as you can see kind of in the red here, um, after it comes through our CDS, so um, who in here isn't familiar with CDSs or cross-domain solutions or services? So, okay. Um, it's our ability to take these environments or air gap. They're not connected to your normal everyday internet. So we had to have a way to be able to push um, software to these environments without taking a good old Blu-ray disc or DVD, burning it on, walking across, scanning it, and then putting it in another computer. I know a few people in the room's done that. Um, we are trying to figure out how to ways to, to, to automate that. So the, the difference here is now we are deploying to a CDS that has an artifact repository in the other end that our cybersecurity team controls. We, from the get-go, we plugged in cybersecurity and said, hey, um, nothing leaves our commercial space unless you approve it. We put the keys in cyber's hands to be able to look at, hey, it gets, uh, anytime an application comes through, vulnerability scanning for, from SAS and DAS provided by GitLab, um, they get vulnerability scores. They get to see uh, how the application is going to perform and what the current threat model is against that application. So now I've included cyber from the absolute beginning, but I've given, I've given them the ability to choose whether that application moves forward. They set, the, they, they set the limit on where they're willing to accept risk and move forward. So for a lot of the people in attendance that are wondering, how do I get this to my AO? How do I get cyber involved? How do I get software going through pipelines that are in GovCloud or commercial? Um, try this approach. Make sure cyber's involved. Um, one of the key points here that, that's there is we own the enterprise products for Terraform and uh, for Vault Enterprise of the Hashi Suite. Sentinel is a, a, a key point of that because it's policy as code framework. Instead of there being um, policy letters that describe how we should operate in DoD, um, they're not collecting dust on a wall anymore. They're written in code. They're actually codified and they can be tested against. And I think that's a, a crucial point to be able to, to take back to your team and say, hey, we can actually uh, get cybersecurity involved to a level they've never had before. We can get them in the mix in pipelines. We can make sure that they understand what is going on and they're controlling this. Um, and, and we're there the entire time. We're helping them out. We're not only doing it from the, the cloud service provider team, but we're bringing in industry partners that have been working in this space for a long time. We don't need to reinvent the wheel uh, at our command. We bring in experts in this field. We say, how does the rest of the world do this? How can we be secure as the most secure organizations around? So um, moving on to the next, so this is a little bit more detailed uh, for everyone. This is what, uh, from a security perspective and an application uh, every day, the life of an application, this is kind of the train that it takes for us. And uh, I'll give everybody a chance real quick to, to read over this. Okay. So um, originally the gentleman, this was gonna be a co-hosting event. Um, Mr. John Bass, he's at, currently at Kessel Run uh, he actually led the CSED team, and we, we kind of worked on this. This pipeline over this last year um, has changed so many times. But when we first started, 
there might have been four or five steps in this that were there. Um, we've added those after iteration. We onboard a new application. We take a team that's writing code. We want to figure out how that team wants to operate, what their current understanding of pipelines are, what their current understanding of code security and vulnerability uh, happens to be. And then we start pushing this to the pipeline. We walk them through, this is how you will deploy to our environment. This is the only way. Um, and that's a great way to get executive endorsement um, for those that have upper level SESs or um, uh, general officers, one thing that we were able to say is the AO for a lot of our networks, um, we got executive endorsement saying in policy, not only in policy as code, but in actual policy, that said, hey, if software doesn't go through our CICD process, it doesn't get deployed to our networks. So now we're already starting to funnel everything through one process. We have more visibility on it. And I think that's a, a great stepping stone for this space is to understand we don't have to solve every problem, but we can start limiting the scope, reducing risk, and help out our AOs. And we can help out those that actually need to make the final decisions in environments. Um, so some of the things here, um, we're talking about static application, we're, we're talking about static code analysis. Um, what does that mean for uh, developers that um, write common code? Um, that, that's a common language that most people know in the DoD against code that uh, you don't see much in DoD. An example of this is uh, how many applications that, that you use are based in Python today? There's quite a few. Question, how many have applications that are written in Go that are deployed in C2S or SC2S? So I've got one or two. All right, that's a, it's, it's not a common framework that you see inside these environments. So. Um, a lot of the cyber teams, people that write code, don't know how to properly address the vulnerabilities in these. Uh, they don't understand, uh, maybe we had a very high score in a, a security vulnerability uh, report. It was just because the developer was using an outdated library. Um, and that's simple as pointing to a new version of the library. And we reduced 80% of the risk there by just updating the library. Um, it, it gives us those things. But we don't have to really figure out uh, static and dynamic testing. The rest of the community's done that. GitLab has a great um, initial library that it can check against. It knows how to go out, how to check against the newest threats. It's looking at, hey, this library hasn't been maintained in four years, but the actual threat against this library is very little. Um, or you can get past this threat uh, by putting in these three safeguards. Um, so it, it continues down the same thing. Like I said, this is a little bit more detailed approach um, to this. So in sake of kind of keeping this going, um, let everybody take pictures. Happy to answer questions in detail if, at any point of this one. So lessons learned in the process. And, and I've kind of shared those along the way. Uh, the first one, I think this is the key one for anyone that's operating in this environment. Start small. Um, no reason to fail uh, with a project that is way too big for uh, our initiation. I'd rather fail in a very small project and figure out the hoops and hurdles than um, take on the command's biggest issue that requires a year of work and fail at it. I, uh, I want to get in, I want to figure out very quick in a hurry, um, how do I learn this environment? How do I help people kind of achieve this environment? So first rule here, 2080 rule. Don't do what most people do in current in industry or in our uh, sector, which is I'm going to plan for every worst case scenario. Every single requirement is listed out. Every single plan um, or every part of our execution plan is listed. Every team member knows about it. 
um, because that plan is great uh, for the first 10 minutes and then it's out the window. Uh, so start small, start early, plan what you need. Get an MVP, what gets you to the first successful stage of your application, of your infrastructure deployment, um, or, or, or your problem set in the cloud. Find an early customer, whether that's a service team or an application team, they will really help you identify weaknesses in your security pipelines. They will help figure out areas that are broke. Um, I think everyone at some point has picked up an application or has logged into an application and done something and you got an error and the developer was like, never thought about that. Um, so we want to give that, we want that same feedback for ourselves so we can give that service reliability. Um, vendor tools. I think for the furry, it's finally starting to get worked out now. There's a lot of vendors that are here uh, today and throughout the week at reInvent that understand that they have um, an area inside of SC2S and C2S that they have to figure out. They have to figure out how their tools work in these environments. So the common tools that you want to use for your everyday cloud experience, make sure you get them in as early as possible in your test environments. Make sure those tools work as performed. Um, I, I say this as a a government body as a military member, test and verify. Don't take vendors at the exact, it will work. We want to ensure, we want it to be test driven. We want to know that their applications actually work in these environments and work with them. A lot of the vendors that I've talked with this year were eager to get feedback. We're eager to figure out what problems we had, what security um, risk or what policy decisions did our uh, legal teams have, did our cybersecurity teams have, or did the AO have about software in this environment? Don't try to figure it out yourself. Bring in the vendors, ask the questions, and put the vendors through, hey, I will help you move through this environment. We'll, we'll navigate these waters together, but utilize their expertise in their software. And the, the last thing on the, the starting small is grow services over time. Small, repetitive, iterative programs, applications, code. Those are things that you go after, things that you're going to do a, a thousand times in a year. If it's writing code that deploys um, an EKS cluster, or if it is writing um, an automation script that goes in and ensures that our naming conventions are right, start small with that. Make sure that the naming conventions are correct. And then the next time down the line, make sure the naming correct or conventions are correct, and you've also added in who the problem or the product owner is. Um, you've added small steps. You don't try to tackle this all in one day. So lesson number two. Cyber, we've kind of talked about that. Get them in early. Ensure that they are part of uh, the decision-making product or process. But the one thing that we noticed in this was cyber wasn't really educated for this space. We have been operating in on-prem environments for the longest time, so cyber is new to this space, and that's okay. Educate them. Bring in experts. There are plenty of other organizations inside of public sector that are not new to this environment. Bring them in. Bring their cyber teams in. Bring in documentation that shows like, hey, um, we figured this out two years ago. Um, there's actually new policies in effect that were written to help out with this. Help educate cyber. That is your, that's one of the biggest things that I can say today is when you get cyber on board, things go a lot easier for you. Most cyber shops, um, they go with a hard no strategy. And if we can help them get away from hard no, um, put the keys in their hand, then it's easy for us to be like, hey, cyber's holding it up. Like, it's good to go. Um, 
the, the, the other small part of that, invite them. Do not try to exclude them. If you're worried, like, hey, this isn't going to pass because cyber's not going to like it, bring them to architecture meetings. Let them ask questions. Um, traditional security models versus uh, cloud models. This was one of the hard things that our cyber team out of the gate was having a hard time with. They were trying to apply everyday um, traditional security for on-prem environments to the cloud, and they're two different things. Uh, and that's okay. Just ensure that they're educated on that. Um, we don't need an endpoint being monitored on every single box. If I have a container that's coming up for a test environment, getting destroyed in 30 seconds, I don't need to install 13 security um, applications on it to monitor the lifetime of that. I'll pull the logs, I'll figure out the right um, security and discovery method for uh, that model. Governance at speed. Do not let governance slow you down to be able to uh, innovate at speed. At the end of the day, we should not slow our developers down or our um, our service teams, we don't want to sacrifice speed for governance. Those two can be a very married relationship. They can be a one-to-one -one ratio. You just have to work at it. Ensuring things like policy as code, that cyber is being able to see true statistics on reporting. Those are the areas that help bring down that gap and get you closer to a one-to-one -one solution. And then really leveraging the cloud native security services that are there. And this is kind of a contention point right now because not all services that are offered um, in these regions are, um, we're, we're allowed to use yet. We're working towards that. And we are really working as a community and engaging the cloud providers and the other decision-making uh, organizations inside of the public sector to kind of get on the same page. Um, the, the one thing with this, if we go against, or if we use cloud native security models, um, they are inherently, used to solve cloud problems. So we're not having to start with a, an application or security model that was built in the early 2000s for uh, security threats and traditional data centers. Third one, enable teams to kind of help out other teams. When we first started, we tried to develop the network. We tried to figure out how to do routing in the cloud. We tried to figure out um, how we were going to do security monitoring, how we were going to do application uh, and infrastructure monitoring. And we tried to tackle it at first, and we failed. Things kept piling on. The backlog kept getting bigger and bigger. We couldn't go uh, further one day because, hey, we were going to work on getting cloud trail and cloud watch in every account. But at the same time, we needed to figure out how to network those. Uh, our team was one government body and five contractors. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to do this for an entire enterprise um, that's over 10,000 users. Uh, so bring in other teams. Engage the, the network team to, hey, um, this is a new environment for you. Bring them in. Let them help you help them. Hey, you, multicast may be a little bit different in a VPC today. Can you figure that out? You're the SME in that area. Um, can you figure out what transitive routing looks like between VPCs? Can you figure out what routing issues I'm going to have or, or how an application is going to work that starts in, in a commercial environment, but I deploy it in a uh, classified environment? Can you help me out there? The application or the, the service reliability team, the SRE team, the monitoring team, hey, help me figure out what logs look like today. Do I take logs from the cloud and I move them back to my on-prem environment? Um, how do I process the logs? What logs do I need to look at? What do I not need to look at? Bring them in. Um, and then that, that helps grow their skill set, which in time helps the entire enterprise. You don't have to take it all on your shoulders at one time. Um, but the, the key point here 
that, that I want to point out, it's, it's the last item on here, but it's not the, the least important. It's, it makes sure they understand that you're using a development uh, first mentality. That you are, hey, when you make a change, when you want to deploy a new service, if you want to put a new uh, monitoring service through CloudWatch, you don't go into the console and click and deploy that service. It goes through the pipeline, write it in code, figure it out, deploy it, it didn't work, retune, start again. So you don't have the typical, well, I'm just going to do some tests, I'm going to see if it works real quick, and then I'll come back and do it. Because everyone knows that's how you start maintaining this leaning tower of Pisa that's really shaking. Um, you want to start from the beginning and, and ensure that you're pushing, hey, it goes through our pipeline, deploy to our development environment first, ensure that it works, and then from there an automated process takes you into the deployment environment. You don't make changes on the fly. And the one thing with that is in the defense industry, a lot of times you'll hear the term like, well, uh, lives are on the line. If I do not get this back up, people will die. Um, and, and that holds, that holds merit. Um, but we can still have that same level of, hey, we want to get this done. We want to ensure that at the end of the day that our warfighter is protected. Um, but we can put this, um, this development first mentality in place. We can know ahead of time that, hey, uh, the issue that actually happened wasn't because someone went in and made a config change on a router or they changed an endpoint in DNS. It would have never been able to get there. It would have never made it to production because it had to go to development first. Who here has went through and spent an entire day trying to figure out what's wrong with either their data center or their application because someone went in that wasn't really experienced and made a change? It's most people. And how infuriating is it when it's that one command, it's that one config line that you scratch your head on and wonder how it even made it into that config? Well, if you have a development pipeline that before it deploys to production, four business owners have to sign off on that. If it is deploying a network, two network architects have to sign off on it, or it can go through, if it passes all the automated tests that we have for it, it can deploy itself. We can give a self-service capability to our service teams. So lessons learned specifically on AWS. And we'll be coming to an end here, so. Thank you everyone for kind of taking the time here with this. So lesson four, stay cloud native. At the beginning, a lot of things that are coming out today, we're told, hey, don't get vendor locked. Try to find applications um, that work in all cloud environments. And we want to. We want to, find, um, we, we want to find a way that we can deploy in all cloud environments uh, and, and not put ourselves in a vendor lock capability. But we also have to go against, are we staying lean? Are we being able to get the most out of our services um, if we don't take a cloud native approach? And that's different for every product team, for every service team. Sometimes CloudWatch isn't your answer. Sometimes um, you need Splunk or you need an Elk stack. It's different for every team, but I would urge you to look at the cloud native approach first. Figure out, hey, maybe it's easier, maybe Splunk uh, does all of our indexing for all logs across our entire environment. But I have logs inside of Amazon, I have logs inside of Azure, Google, VMware. Maybe I use their cloud native tooling to get the logs out of the environment and, and take them to a central collection point. And then let Splunk take over. Um, always fresh approach. If you're trying to use cloud native services and you're trying to figure out how they're going and you're not using the development mentality first, um, you're kind of already starting off on the wrong foot, but if you are using it, um, it keeps you from being able to go in and, and be like, all right, so this feature was breaking this, so I'm going to change the next seven features to figure out which one makes this work. 
and then I found it, but I don't know if that's the exact one, because maybe it took 30 seconds for that API call to refresh and come back. Um, so always keep a, a, a um, always fresh approach. Some of the, the tools that you see up here using CloudWatch, CloudTrail, urge your cybersecurity teams, urge your logging teams to take a look at these services. They may not work for you, but push it to your team. Give them that opportunity to make that decision and figure out the our business value for yourself. Um, lesson five, initial cloud deployments. Figure out your tooling earlier. Same thing we talked about, starting small, finding common tool providers. Ensure they work. Talk to your vendors. Test them out. Um, and, and that goes with ensuring that you're maintaining kind of the, the DevOps fundamentals. Ensuring that you don't try to push that, hey, I can get done really quick if I just go into the console and I change, uh, if I go into an S3 bucket and I click turn versioning on, that's a lot easier than me going into uh, pulling down a Git repo real quick, updating that config, pushing it to Git and waiting for it to happen. It's a lot quicker. It, it'll, it'll be fine. We'll get it. We'll go home on Friday early. Don't. Don't. Ensure that you're putting safeguards in that keep our admins and our users, hold ourselves accountable. Ensure that teams are holding you accountable to that. And then um, going into kind of one that's more specific towards a certain product, use S3. Um, if you're doing a lot of cloud work, um, you have a lot of things. This year we found out um, when we were trying to host, um, we were trying to figure out storage problems. We were trying to figure out how do we keep documentation before we got Confluence up and running. Um, static web pages inside of static hosting inside of S3 is great. You can write your policy down. You can write a quick, hey, how do I get started in the cloud? That can be hosted out of an S3 bucket that anyone can get to. Um, ensuring that your applications can leverage that. There's a lot of tooling in our current data centers uh, with vendors like NetApp that, hey, how do we work? Uh, is there an API structure that allows me to be able to move my data and snapshots into S3? Um, data recoverability, vulnerability, but it also goes back into the security approach. I can have uh, those audit logs. I can see who's accessing those storage at a per item level um, and be able to say confidently that we're not only having our storage backed up and properly versioned, but we're also getting real-time audibility of our actual data. Um, S3 can be used for a lot of things. If you're writing custom applications, it's a central point for data to, to be at. And as you start to make your leap and journey, if you're already in the cloud, you'll understand that data gravity is a really big point for uh, kind of the environment. Now, we want to process a ton of data. We want to be able to use great enrichment services on those data or on that, those data sets. So um, S3 is a great place for us to start. We kind of grew into understanding S3. There's a lot of services that are currently offered in commercial region that will be coming to the other regions of the future that leverage data sitting in S3 and they'll bring the service to S3 and you'll be able to, to really uh, use cloud native services to um, get good, reliable, actual intel on your data. So um, I want to thank everyone for coming out today. Um, hopefully I can, I've answered some questions. Um, I really just wanted to explain, hey, some of the lessons that we've learned this year and help people get their next step into uh, this environment. There's a lot of questions around policy and how to do things right now. Um, my email is on the, the screen. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, if there's anything that I can do or if Jim can answer for you, we'd be happy to do that. Again, I hope everyone has a great reInvent. Thank you for your time. Good evening.